Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to another edition of Free on the Inside. I'm your host, Minister Joel Lewis, and you are listening to an Internet program to inform you and to encourage you and to challenge you to be all you could be in Christ Jesus. We have a great guest on this morning here, and but before we uh, bring her on the program, we'd like to give you our uh, call-in numbers, and number is 3109 is my number, but the studio number is 3109 Either way, it works, so you have no reason not to be able to call us up. But at this same time, I'd like to introduce to you our guest this morning, Ms. Barbara Mallory Calloway. She served as the Texas House of Representatives in District 110, and she also was on the city council in Dallas, Texas. And now she's running for U.S. Senator District 10. And the next part she'll hear is Ms. Calloway. Good morning, Ms. Calloway. Good morning, Reverend Lewis, and actually it's, I'm running for U.S. Congress, House of Representatives, District 30. District 30, yes, District 30, yes. Yes, I think it said District 10, and I'm not running for the Senate, I'm running for the House. Okay, great, sorry about that okay. mistake there. Okay, so great, introduce okay. yourself and tell us about uh, why we should vote for you. That's what, I, that's what the well, theme is today. Well, well. good morning to your listening audience. And, again, this is Barbara Mallory Carraway. I'm running for U.S. Congress, a House of Representatives, District 30. And the election is March the 6th. Early voting is going on right now. Um, and you can vote early through March the 2nd because this is super weekend, voting weekend. And then the election is uh, Tuesday, March the 6th. And we are in a very, very important election, Reverend Lewis, because this vote will determine the future of District 30 for the next decade, for the next two decades, actually, which is the next generation. And why should you vote for Barbara Mallory Carraway? You should vote for Barbara Mallory Carraway because we are in desperate need of leadership to take us into the direction that we need to go in where we will have the opportunity to participate in a process that has left us out. Donald Trump is out of control. Washington is out of control. Uh, The NRA has taken over our country. And unfortunately, in District 30, we don't have anybody speaking out against the inequities in our district. We also have one of the highest poverty uh, levels in in the country. In District 30, not just in North Texas, but in the country, our education is failing. We have an opportunity to put someone, me, in office that has the experience, has the tenacity, has the the diligence, I'm vigilant, and I deliver positive results. So it's time to send me to Washington so that you will have a voice and a vote, someone that will speak up for your children, someone that will speak up for our senior citizens who are in jeopardy of losing their Medicare, Medicaid, as well as their Social Security, someone who would speak up against speak up for veterans who cannot get their benefits. And this veteran friend of mine said, would you please, please make sure that we get our benefits before we die? You will have someone in Washington who will fight against the high cost of these prescription medications that people have to take. their life-saving medications, and they have to pay so much money for them. And so that is what you get in Barbara Mallory Caraway. You get an advocate, you get a voice, 
and you get a vote. So on March the 6th, I'm asking for your vote, but again, you can vote early through March the 2nd. Great. Well, you gave us some good information there. Now tell us uh, uh, about this criminal justice reform that, uh, that you're working on. Thank you so much for asking me about that. And I have to say that Johnny Lindsay, who was uh, passed recently, he was one of the exonerees who spent 26 years in, in, in prison or more than two decades in, in um, state jail for a crime that he did not commit. And before he passed, he was working with me on this criminal justice issue to make sure that uh, what happened to him doesn't happen to other people. But really, that was on the state level. What I have to really do is on the federal level, where you have these mandatory sentences that judges don't have discretion as to how they can sentence people. So for a minor crime that may have you know, where the crime doesn't equal the time, you may be hypothetically two years, and you could, this is just hypothetical, uh, the judge, because of the mandatory sentencing guidelines, may have to just to sentence you to 10 years because that's what the law says. So we need to look at that. In addition to what we need to do, we need to, in Texas, people with a felon, once they get off paper, they can vote in Texas. I want to give the right to vote to everyone in the United States of America once you have completed your time. And the other thing we need to do is that we need to stop discriminating against people who have done their time in terms of not being able to get good-paying jobs, not being able to get good housing, not being able to you know, participate in this society that we live in. So those are the main points that I want to see in criminal justice reform. And those are some things that need to be tackled also. And, you know, and as you were sharing that, I was just thinking about uh, some other things that you are very involved in, in the school reform and school upgrading. Tell us something about that then, because a lot of us are just disheartened and brokenhearted about the conditions of our school. How would you address that? Well, you should be disheartening because our our students and our kids, our our, our nieces, nephews, grandkids, we are really graduating, you know, at a at a rate that is not conducive or even equal to what we did when we graduated. And, and, and even when they graduate, the majority of them, a lot of them still can't, they don't have the basic skills that it takes to get even a, a job where teaching them how to fill out an application, how you go about, about writing a resume. I did that as a state legislator, I created the Career Futures Initiative that gave them that opportunity, particularly where college was concerned, that they had the opportunity to practice on that college entrance exam. Now, I know everybody's not going to go to college, but that is my first pitch because that's what I believe in. But in addition to that, where we have to deal with education, what really kind of set us on the back pedal was George Bush with his No Child Left Behind, where you began, there was, there was always a, an academic measurement test to see how students were doing in school, but this No Child Left Behind really began to send us into a spiral that we have not, a downward spiral that we have not recuperated from, being that everything, whether a child is you know, promoted to the next grade, whether the, the uh, teacher, how they're evaluated, all of that was included in that no, no child left behind. And so we need to look at, of course, we need to have some academic measurements, but a child's future is determined by that test. And because of that, states have the right 
to make changes in their laws as to how they're going to, you know, Texas started putting, uh, I wasn't on the education committee, but I attended the meetings because education was so important to me. In fact, they made me an honorary member. But now you have these categories that they want you to to uh, graduate in. You have it where it's become so politicized about the books that we get, the state board. They don't want to include particularly names of African-Americans. They don't want to include the history of slavery. So we have a, a closeout, a blackout of what's going on really in education. So we need, <coughs> excuse me, we need to look at this testing uh, system, and especially with Becky DeVos, now up in Washington, it's really, you know, we really, with all this other stuff that's going on with Trump, then uh, people are, are, except the educators are not paying that much attention. And it needs to be on the front burner because education really is the cure-all. Whether you can read, write, just to fill out an application, a lot of things are technology-based now. So we really, really, really do need to do the best thing that we can do to get them on um Get them on on point. All right, that sounds great, does that? And I'm glad you mentioned that too, because that's something that we're not aware of because of the literature that's been exposed to our uh, kids and even kids of color minority. It's not the things that they're accustomed to. How they try to hold back or uh, de- uh, delete some things from their basic learning there regarding Black history and and, and uh, cultural history. Now, one other thing that's real uh, uh, that's out in the news now. There's, there's, Gun violence. Won't you address that there for us? You know, we had a, uh, you know, just a a, a couple weeks ago, we had something in in Florida with the shooting at a high school. And being in Congress, how would you be able to, uh, how would you uh, represent us here in Texas and and your constituents on reducing the violence and school violence? Yes, and that was in Parkland, Florida, at Stoneman Douglas. Uh, school where 17 innocent kids who went to school that morning, their parents sent them off, not ever believing that they would be gunned down, that they would not return home. The problem is with Congress. And they said, well, you can't do this. Well, one thing that I will certainly do is speak out on these issues. People don't know about them because, you know, our current representative really doesn't talk about them. She doesn't really have an interest to me in making sure that these issues are brought to the forefront. The NRA is nothing new. The the National Rifle Association, they have bought and paid for Congress. They put a lot of money into these races, and they control Congress. And what was surprising to me, I was reading on the Huffington Post, a lot of these partnerships that they have with these businesses, they brag about they have more than 5 million members. They have partnerships with people like Roku, with people like Avis Rent-A-Car, with people like National Rent-A-Car. And so you have a, a, a situation where money rules, money rules. And so what Congress has failed to do, even with the mass shootings at, um, in, in Las Vegas, even with the mass shootings all over the country, they have failed to put any regulations as to who can own a firearm, a gun. And it's not even these these um, the guns themselves, it's these high-powered weapons with these magazines in them that are built to kill many people. And so as what Congress needs to do is, number one, do background checks to see who can own a gun. 
Number two, ban these bump stocks that nobody knew. I certainly didn't know about, the, most of the public didn't know about until um, the shooting in Las Vegas. We need to look at how these guns are sold. Well, they say, well, criminals got guns. Well, that's true. Criminals do have guns. But there's, I mean, that's in the underground. But we need to see who they're talking about and taunting in their membership are legitimate members of the NRA. So the next thing people need to do is to get out and vote out these candidates who are affiliated with the NRA. So that's what Congress needs to do. But the voter and what these kids have done, and I am saying kids because they're 13 and 14-year-olds, they have taken upon themselves. Excuse me, I'm getting a little, I hope I'm not All right, God bless but, um, yes, thank you. They have taken upon themselves to say enough is enough. And they are mobilizing. They will be voting in the next election, those ones who can vote. They are pressing Congress to take action. Their friends, they literally saw their friends gunned down. Sandy Hook, you had little, little elementary kids that were killed. So, I mean, what, what, when does it become that lives matter more than guns? And they were talking about the Second Amendment, but, but things were different then. You had those muskets. People were being invaded. It was during a different time where, uh, you know, wartime and all of that. So it's a different time. It's a different time. And we need to do something about these guns. They are everywhere. Yes, they are. And, you know, and it seemed to be so easy to to get a gun for some people. You know, like I said, I didn't realize that you the minimum age was 18 years old. And that might have even been a minimum age. If you had money, you probably could buy a gun with an idea or something. I don't know. But uh, and one other thing that the president had brought up, and some people have been piggybacking off of it, and, and there's a lot of being said about it, is the teachers having guns in school. You know, when I went to school, I was I, I wanted to feel safe, and I don't know if I could be safe with a teacher with a gun in the school. Now, as as our state representative, why would you address that issue? If it came up before Congress, why do we need to turn schools into prisons? You already have metal detectors in a lot of schools. You already have where, you know, when I go to school, I've got to turn over my ID. You know, I have to give them my driver's license. Why do we want to have armed guards walking around? Because they're not just going to have guns. They're going to turn it into, that's what they do in prison. That's what they do in prison, go around and monitor people's behavior. How do you learn in an environment like that? So I don't support turning that. You know, what they did, too, in Texas, they wanted to allow guns on college campuses. Well, it was such a backlash, they, they wanted to arm the teachers. The teachers were against it. So I think that they may have passed a minute the law to say that the schools can determine that. But why do we want, why do we want to turn our schools into prisons? That's my question to the, your audience. So if that vote came up uh, in front of you, you would uh, be a no on something like that? I would, I would certainly say no. Now, now at the grassroots level, now that, you know we know that we're an independent country. Now, uh, can can they uh, vote something in there in their own district, in their own community, in their own city? Or why would you address that in Congress? Because you know we want to, you know, we're the United States, but yet we're still independent now. Uh, uh, let's talk to you. Uh, you know, can you address that? In terms of what, Reverend Lewis? If, if uh, individual schools or communities or counties wanted to uh, arm, they uh, uh, have the uh, teachers with uh, guns in the classroom. 
Well, that's I don't something think that you they can do that in a, I don't think you can do that in a district. I don't think that they okay. can do that individually. I don't think that that would be a good idea to leave up the discretion to the individual campuses, not on this level, that the board would have to make that decision. It would have to be unilateral. You can't let them pick and choose. Because, see, That's the problem great. is not that they're, not that they're on uh, – they, obviously they're on campus. Kids are taking – they're being found with weapons every day, all kinds of weapons, not just guns. So to suggest that you're going to let them pick and choose which campuses – are going to have guns, I will assure you that most of our minority schools are the ones who will end up with that kind of, of oversight. So I do not support allowing individual schools to make that. I would not even support the school board allowing schools to allow that or even on campus because even some businesses that you walk into, federal business have a no-gun sign on them where you can't bring in firearms or weapons. So why would we want to? Why do we want to go into this this vigilante type of era where everybody has, you know, weapons and everybody have guns and you just go after everybody? That's where we are in this country, and it started at the top with Donald Trump, with all this rhetoric and all this hatred and all this violence that he perpetuated during his campaign and continues. And that's why I'm going to. I'm, I'm asking the voters to vote for me to send me to Washington to work and fight against this ideology that they're perpetrating on the people who can least afford all these high taxes they pass. They can't afford, you know, the, to be least educated. You cannot afford that you have all of this. You can't find affordable housing. And so that's why I want to go to Washington. That's why I'm asking the voters to vote for me and on March the 6th or an early vote through the 2nd of March to make a change, to make a difference. We can't just sit idly by and all of all, all this stuff happen. You, you know, I hear it in your voice. Enough is enough. That's what you're saying. And enough that's, is enough. Yes, that is. And we have someone on the line here. We're going to bring them in, and they're going to ask you a question regarding some things that we just talked about. Good morning, now, Mr. Daniel. You're on the net. Good morning, Mr. Daniel. I'm doing real good. I'm doing real good. Uh, we have Ms. Bobby Mallory on the line. I can't see, but I need to ask uh, uh, Sister Carraway about um, the gun control legislation in Texas and how she think that would be. Uh, uh, will it come in because, you know, I'm a substitute teacher myself, and I'm fearful. After what happened on the day, I'm really fearful about going into a school now. So could I'm going to let you answer that question, and can she answer that for me? Thank you. Okay, okay. I think we just talked about that, but you could answer that, though, uh, Ms. Callaway. Uh, and he's an adult. He's an adult. He's a teacher. He is has been. He has chosen this profession to help our kids, to teach our kids. What's, what's interesting and what's sad is he's an adult who is saying, I'm a teacher, I've chosen this profession, I'm going into the classroom to teach these children, and I'm afraid. So if he's saying he's afraid, can you imagine how these students are feeling going into school about their lives that they don't know going to school if they're going to come back the day or what's going to happen to their friends, their family members? Because it's not just... The students are affected by it. You have teachers who have put themselves, lost their lives protecting the students. So you just can't, um, I mean, that's that's terrible that all this fear is going around. I certainly wouldn't want to arm 
every teacher and every student to have, you know, this wild, wild west mentality. It's dangerous. So I will bite every tooth and nail, and I will not just sit back. I will hold town hall meetings so that they can, people can address their emotions and their feelings. That's what people want. They want to be heard. They want to be heard. They want to be able to express that. So that is what Barbara Mallard Caraway will do. You know, I am so glad to hear you say you're you're a calm voice in the midst of a storm. I feel assured that once you make it to Congress that you, too, will do the best that you can, and not only you, but you have other people walking beside you. Now, Ms. Coway, before we let you go, now you've been doing this here for a number of years. What allows you to keep pushing and pushing and trying to look into the needs of other people and communities and the country as a whole? Because I'm not doing it for myself. I am doing it. And you have to have a voice Quitters never win And winners never quit I am focused on going to Washington To be the representative for the people That is what motivates me That is what inspires me That is what I and why I get up every day For the last few years I have never given up Because I believe that my service Will be beneficial to the, to the constituents of Congressional District, U.S. House, District 30, as well as the country. I will be a voice. I will be someone that they will have to deal with in Congress for my district. I'm just not looking out for the rich and the powerful and the well-connected people. And, and, and the good thing about it is there are reports to say that there is an uptick in early voting. So that means that people are more engaged, they're paying more attention, and I'm asking them that when they go to the polls to look for Barbara Mallory Caraway at the top of the ballot, I am number two on, my name is number two on the U.S. House uh, Representatives District 30. Now, I want to also caution your voters, do not give voters fatigue. When you go in there, there are 126 names. Now, that's not positions, but there are 126 names that they're going to have to consider for different positions on the ballot. Take your time and go through that ballot. Do not, you know, say, oh, I don't want to vote for this, or I don't want to take your time and vote. And the best thing about voting early, because there are so many races and so many names on the ballot, it may not take you as long as if you work, wait for election day. The good thing about it is, according to uh, the reports, rain has not kept them away because typically people say, oh, when it rained, and I, this is what people say, black people are not going to go and vote. Well, that's not the case. It seems that there is an uptick in voting, and so I encourage people to vote early so that you will not be on those lines and getting frustrated in that early voting rush on the, on, sorry, on that election day vote rush. You will can vote again through March the 2nd, and, um, you know, go out and vote. Go, don't let the rain stop you. It's been raining, but people have not let it stop them. But when you vote, vote for a change, vote for Barbara Mallory Caraway, because it's time for me to go to Washington to represent you. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, we're going to end on that note. Now, before we let you go, we know uh, this is Black History Month, February been set aside. Now, what black person living up? a past that have inspired you to do all you could do? 
Well, there are many. You have Shirley Chisholm, who was the first African-American woman to be represented or to be voted into Congress. She was also the first black person to even run for a, for a, a party nomination. She ran for president. You have now the Me Too movement going on in modern-day history. You have Chance the Rapper, who has stepped up to be a vocal voice, a, a civil rights voice for the young people. You have Martin Luther King Jr. You have Lena Horne. You have, you know, a lot of people don't talk about Dorothy Dandridge, but you have many people in the political spectrum, Harry, Harry Belafonte, who's still living. He was part of that movement. And so you have many, many people. My parents, my brother who got me in, involved in politics, uh, is a good Reverend Dr. Lynn Mims is a good role model for me. I can't just stop at one. I must stop at many. So I really appreciate everything that they have done. And we must remind our young people that the privileges that they are enjoying today is because of the struggle of the past. And I think that with all this gun violence and all of this racism and Trump, they are recognizing that all of that still exists. It may have been embedded. It may have been hidden, but it's all forefront. It came out more when, when Barack Obama was the president, but it's front and center, and they have to tackle the all of the civil rights issues that are, are relevant to them today, and I want to help move them in that direction, be a mentor to them, to show them and teach them how to run for office, to inspire them to get an education. I want to thank now, I graduated from Texas Southern University in Houston, and so that has kept me very focused about what it be, means to be an African-American in America. So those are the people that I really, really admire. We want to thank Carter G. Woodson. You talked about black. He was called out as Negro history. Mom then became black history. Now it's African-American. We keep changing what we're calling ourselves, but the the principle is there. So Carter G. Woodson, there are, you know, many, many people that made a significant change. Frederick Douglass, you have the Freedom Riders. You, I mean, it's just you cannot isolate one person, but as far as aspirations to Congress, you have, again, Shirley Chisholm. You had Barbara Jordan, Texas, who went up to Washington, and so it, she was from Houston, and um went to Texas Southern. Now they have a library at University of Texas in Austin. So we have a plurality of people who we need to admire and thank for black history and for the advances that we've made in this country. The slaves, they endured a lot. So I just can't point out one person. Oh, that is great. I'm so glad you said that because as we uh, celebrate and honor the men and women that went before us that made a way to what we're able to do now, there's many of them. They just can't name one, but we thank God for you and what you're doing. You're uh, you being a voice in the willingness, so to speak, and then letting people know that you know that our hope is not lost. So let us know that we have an advocate in this in this only way to the U.S. Congress that's going to speak on behalf of of the community and the speaker to have on behalf of those that seem to be left out and locked out. So thank you very much for what you're doing, and we're looking forward to hearing and seeing great things from you and what you're doing and how you're paving the way for Well, Reverend Lewis, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much for having me. Besides the right to vote, because it's not permanent. We can talk about that later. Look at the words like that. It has to be renewed that Congress still had renewed that permanently. So thank you for having me on your show. Well, thank you very much, and God bless you, and we look forward to speaking with you at a later date. Thank you. Thank you very much.
All right, what a great interview that we had there with Ms. Bobby Mallory Calloway there. She's running for U.S. House Representative District 30, and we ask you to cast your vote for her. All right, so we we thank Brother Daniel there for the question that was being rendered and the phone lines are lit up here. But we're going to continue this segment here of our program. We're going to uh, 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 play some audio clips of black history. And also the call-in number is 310-982-4126. You too can voice your opinion. And I'd like for you to reach out to Ms. Callaway and just uh, ask her what you can do to be a part of what she's doing. And we know that's, and that's great to end our uh, segment, our Black History Month, with with a live uh, uh, a person that's doing history. You know, her name is going to be written in the legends, in the in the record logs of Texas. There, her name is always going to be in the legend that she's a part of history. And guess what? You were able to hear that and be a part of that also. So guess what? There's nothing too hard for our God. But right now we're going to play a part of uh, some Black History. We pray that you enjoy, kick back, relax, and enjoy. What you listen to, and I'm going to get back with you shortly. Immaculate Ilabagiza is a living example of faith put into action. She was born in Rwanda and studied electronic and mechanical engineering at the National University. Her life was transformed dramatically during the 1994 Rwandan genocide, when on the 7th of April of that year, the president of Rwanda died. All the country's social activity shut down. Voices of Hutu militia were heard on the radio, giving orders to kill all the cockroaches wherever found. So began the events which, at the end of it all, left almost a million Tutsi people slaughtered in just 100 days by the significantly more populous Hutus. They did all this with more than anything machetes. Three out of every four of the country's Tutsis were killed. When it began, Immaculate's father told her to run to a minister's house three miles away and to beg him to hide her. The minister was a Hutu, a member of the majority tribe that had begun killing the Tutsis, but he had been a friend of the family's. He took her in and hid her, along with six other women, in a tiny, rarely used bathroom where she couldn't have imagined what she was in for even at that moment when the horror was already very real outside. They were well hidden, even from the Hutu pastor's own large family. She and the other women spent 91 days huddled silently together in the cramped bathroom. Uh, just to make sure the gravity of this situation is sinking in, I want to make sure you understand that's three months in one small room with six other people. Immaculately entered the bathroom a vibrant 115-pound university student with a loving family. She emerged weighing just 65 pounds. That's roughly half her weight from the time this all started. To find that almost all of her family had been brutally murdered. In this experience, she did the only thing she could do, giving it everything she had. She prayed and found her faith. This woman gained a characteristic that I can hardly imagine personally, which is forgiving the people who murdered her family. She is very much a Catholic, and I am very much not. But this is where names of religions and all their traditions just fade into the background, at least as I see it. Think of the psychological effect such a thing would have on almost anyone, how you could let it affect you. Then 
Go look further into her story and see the inner strength this woman found and kept and shared ever since these events. Here's what she said when given the chance to come face to face with one of her family's killers. Oh my, what? It's okay. It's okay. Wait, I forgive you. Deal with it. It's bigger than me. Just deal with it. I hope you can find hope. And you know, it was a relief that now I know nothing is going to test me more than this. Immaculate Ilabigiza has since started her own family marrying happily and having two children. She's a thrice published author, writing about her recollections of her experiences, but more importantly, what she gained from them. There's a time when I felt that he was teaching me about forgiveness and hating. I remember about love. And of course, America, please, those people, they're evil. You know, that was my first reaction. Don't tell me to love them. And then I was like, you know what, just tell me, how do I do that? The sin is terrible, Immaculate. The sin is terrible. Hate it and how do you hate it is to pray for these people to be delivered from the power of evil. She speaks all over the world and is the recipient of the 2007 Mahatma Gandhi Reconciliation and Peace Award. She founded a charity organization for orphans of the Rwandan Holocaust, which has since evolved into an educational aid program embracing the entire country. enjoyed that episode and now we got some more coming up so kick back and relax and enjoy you'll listen to free on the inside well our next episode is about inventors master of invention Identify any black inventors they may have filed patents 
papers for. In 1913, patent lawyer B.J. Nolan of Chattanooga, Tennessee wrote, I never knew a Negro to even suggest an idea, much less try to patent one. And I've dealt with them Negroes all my life. Baker didn't let letters like that discourage him. By the time of his death, his work produced four massive volumes and uncovered some remarkable inventions patented by black men and women. In 18th century America, one black man of inventive genius made a name for himself, a tobacco farmer named Benjamin Banneker. He resembled Benjamin Franklin in stature and was one of the country's most brilliant mathematicians. Inspired by the theories of Copernicus, Banneker became a self-taught astronomer at age 60. In 1754, at the age of 24, Banneker made a clock entirely out of wood, which remained accurate for nearly 40 years. He was one of the surveyors in the planning of Washington, D.C., and a scientific genius. With borrowed books and instruments, Banneker taught himself the fundamentals of astronomy, keeping a journal of his calculations. Besides predicting the weather and seasons, Banneker used his almanac to extol the achievements of blacks beyond himself. When he included a poem written by the renowned poet Phyllis Wheatley, he wrote, Africans and their descendants are capable of attaining a degree of eminence in the liberal sciences. Benjamin is not the only proof. Wheatley's poem perhaps best echoed their feelings about the injustices of human bondage. Should you wonder from whence my love of freedom sprung? I young and lie by seeming cruel fate was snatched from Africa, fancy happy seat. What pains excruciating must molest, what sorrows labor in my parents' breast. Steeled was that, should and by no misery moved, and from a father sees this babe beloved. Such, such my case. And can I then but pray? Others may never feel tyrannic's way. Just as Banneker loved the stars, James Fortin of Philadelphia loved the sea. One of the original abolitionist leaders, Fortin invented a device around 1800 that aided in the control of sails on ships. He amassed a fortune, built his own sail factory, and worked on the Underground Railroad helping slaves to escape. There's an African proverb that says, as the wound inflames the finger, so thought inflames the mind. And despite their circumstances, slaves created a number of inventions before the Civil War. Until they were considered citizens, however, African-American inventors were ignored, prohibited from securing patents, or slave owners took credit for their discoveries. Such was almost the case of Benjamin Montgomery of Virginia, who invented a propeller specifically designed for river steamboats. Montgomery was owned by Joseph Davis, brother of Jefferson Davis, the future president of the Confederacy. Now, when the brothers tried to patent Montgomery's propeller, Attorney General Jeremiah S. Black enacted the decision in 1858 that prohibited owners from doing so. So, as a result, any slave invention during the next 12 years went undocumented. Before the Civil War, a free black man named Norbert Rillo from New Orleans revolutionized the sugar industry in a bittersweet story. Born on a plantation and educated as an engineer in Paris, Rouleau gave the world its biggest economic sugar fix. 
Making sugar by the slow, dangerous kettle method inspired Rouleau to find a better way. And on August 26, 1843, he received his first patent for his sugar refining process, or the multiple effect vacuum evaporator, which turned sugar juice into a fine grade of white sugar crystals. Rouleau became a wealthy and influential man in New Orleans, but was still subjected to oppressive race laws. When he was told he'd have to carry a pass to move about the city, Rouleau decided to leave America forever and return to France. France's gain was surely America's loss. white inventors were responsible. By 1870, the patent restraints for blacks had been lifted and signaled an explosion of inventions to come. One of those inventions was from Jan Metzeliger, a black immigrant from New Guinea who settled in Lynn, Massachusetts, the center of the shoemaking industry. Now, his invention revolutionized the shoe manufacturing industry and created thousands of jobs. Prior to Metzeliger's invention, connecting the leather uppers to the soles of the shoes was done by hand, a process called lasting. He wanted to make shoes affordable for everyone, and after working secretly at night for 10 years, Metzeliger created a lasting machine that could turn out a complete shoe. His drawings, however, were so complex, the U.S. Patent Office couldn't believe the machine worked. So an official was sent to inspect it. And on March 20th, 1883, Jan Metzeliger was issued his first patent. Metzeliger tried unsuccessfully to market his invention himself and sold the rights to his invention for stock in a new company. He took to performing in plays, but died a forgotten inventor before he reaped any financial rewards. Metzeliger's recognition finally came a century later when a postage stamp commemorated his name and a bridge in his honor was dedicated in his hometown of Lynn, Massachusetts. With the introduction of Henry Ford's Model T, cars began to move horses aside and America shifted full speed ahead. Between 1871 and 1900, more than 300 patents were awarded for inventions and innovations by blacks. Inventors have become a part of American folklore as well. If you've ever heard the phrase, the real McCoy, mm -hmm, you know what I mean. The phrase was coined for a master inventor, Elijah McCoy, who ultimately patented over 60 lubricating systems, including an air brake system for railroads. In the late 1870s, most machines, including trains, had to be stopped every time they needed oil. The oilmen would walk the length of the train and oil all the moving parts. McCoy devised a method for oiling machinery as it was running. And on June 23, 1872, he received a patent for the lubricating cup. McCoy believed in producing quality work. As a result, his lubricating system was used on locomotives, machinery in factories, and on engines of transatlantic steamships around the world. McCoy's system was so effective that buyers of new machinery would ask the sellers, does the equipment have the real McCoy? If it didn't, they wouldn't buy it. So if you want the genuine article, the real thing, just ask for the real McCoy. 
In a country that still had the feeling that the oppressed race had contributed little or nothing, African Americans began to catch the public's attention. Exhibits at the 1895 Atlanta Exposition and the 1907 Jamestown Exposition gave black inventors the opportunity to showcase their accomplishments. On the flip side, in 1896, the Supreme Court ruled in Plessy versus Ferguson that separate but equal facilities for whites and blacks was constitutional, which marked the beginning of Jim Crow laws and legalized segregation. Despite the trials and stresses of life, people enjoyed their recreational time, and hobbies were springboards for inventions. Uh, take, for instance, dentist George Grant. He loved playing golf. And on December 12, 1899, he received a patent for an object that golfers have been using ever since. The golf tee. Before Grant's inventions, players would form cone-shaped mounds of sand with their fingers on which the ball sat. Now today, this tooth-shaped invention has improved many a golfer's drive. Just as today's technological revolution celebrates the super-information highway, the second half of the 19th century centered around its new age power, electricity. In every school book, the name of Thomas Edison and Alexander Bell are imprinted in our minds. But recognition for their distinguished African-American colleagues, Granville T. Woods and Louis Latimer, is long overdue. Louis Latimer was a self-made man who became a pioneer in the development of electricity. He drafted the original plans for Alexander Bell's telephone and made significant contributions to the success of both Thomas Edison and Hiram Maxim, Edison's competitor. While employed with Maxim, Latimer perfected Edison's light bulb by making improvements in the incandescent electric lamp in 1882. He then supervised the installation of electric lighting systems in major cities around the world. Known as the Black Edison, Granville T. Woods was an electromechanical genius. Like Edison, Woods was years ahead of his time and founded his own company to research, manufacture, and market his electrical inventions. His versatility resulted in 65 patents relating to electricity from electric railway cars to an incubator for hatching chicken eggs. When the first subway rail pulled into Grand Central Station, Granville Woods had made his mark. In 1901, he was issued a patent for the third rail system still used in subways today around the world. Concerned about the number of train collisions, Woods developed a railway telegraphy system, which improved train safety by letting the train engineer know how close his train was to others. And in 1899, he received a patent for an amusement apparatus. Woods' two-track ride, originally invented for indoors and outdoors, evolved into what we now know as the roller coaster. <laughs> Woods' 
Wood's inventions caught the public's attention when he won two legal disputes against Edison. In fact, when Edison lost the second action, he asked Woods to come work for him. But Woods, whose patents were bought by General Electric, Bell Telephone, and Westinghouse, decided to remain on his own. By the turn of the century, a surge of inventions was well underway. African Americans received an estimated 1,000 patents by 1913 in nearly every field of industrial arts, machinery, transportation, agricultural, and electrical devices. Garrett Morgan was constantly thinking about the future. He'd say, if it's in a book, you can do it. If it's not, then use your imagination. And despite having only a sixth grade education, Morgan's inventions, the traffic signal, and the gas mask became two of the world's most significant safety-related devices. On July 25th, 1916, an explosion rocked the mining site. Three rescue teams died attempting to save the miners. But Garrett Morgan, wearing an invention he called a breathing apparatus, entered the toxic mine and pulled the surviving men to safety. Morgan's invention came to rescue again during World War I, when British and U.S. troops needed gas masks to fend off Germans' newest weapon, poison gas. Back in the States, city traffic was hazardous. Morgan witnessed a terrible accident and developed the first illuminated traffic signal, which alerted drivers to proceed with caution. Garrett Morgan received his patent on November 20th, 1923, which he later sold to the General Electric Company for $40,000. His system was used until it was replaced with the automatic electric traffic lights we have today. Like inventors, African-American scientists have made phenomenal contributions as well. Grammy-winning composer Stevie Wonder even wrote a song about one of them. Dr. George Washington Carver, best known for his work with the peanut and his 300 or more derivative products, which include instant coffee, bleach, tan remover, metal polish, paper, ink, shaving cream, rubbing oil, linoleum, paint, and plastic. Carver was a man on a mission. A scientific genius, Carver felt a deep affinity for farmers and convinced them to grow diversified crops, such as peanuts, pecan, and sweet potatoes, in place of one crop, cotton, to re-nourish their soils. A deeply spiritual man, Carver also obtained fame as an artist. His varied interests led to his close friendship with Henry Ford, who shared his fascination with synthetic rubber. Carver's research as an agricultural chemist won him international acclaim. When Carver died in 1943 in Alabama, the governor and crowds of people came to honor him. The U.S. Postal Service issued a memorial stamp for the man who was dubbed the Savior of the South. Madam C.J. Walker became a millionaire as a result of her hair care products. And although she didn't patent any of her products, she was a pioneer entrepreneur and an inspiration to women around the world. In 1885, Sarah Good received her patent for a folding bed, a forerunner of today's sofa bed. Sarah Boone was issued a patent in 1892 for her improvement to the ironing board. Alice H. Parker wanted to warm each room in her building with centralized heating and received a patent for her improvement on the heating furnace in 1919. And Harriet Bradbury 
patented her torpedo discharger for submarines in 1943. We're going to go ahead and end it right there. We want to thank you once again for listening to the program. Oh, that black history. I love that. I love that. I love that. We're going to pick it up again at a later date. But hopefully it won't be a whole year of, you know, all the black inventions. You know, now you can take pride in things that's going on. You know, because we as black people, we, we orchestrate a lot of this stuff. Man, I can't re- I didn't realize there was a black woman to help do the torpedo, man, you know. So that's, that's awesome, man. We had a black engineer, they called a black editor. So that's, oh, man, that's awesome there. But now we get ready to... Uh, in this portion of the program, we're going to bring our co-host on the line this morning, Brother Daniel. And so we're going to – hello, Brother Daniel. Good morning, Brother Daniel. Good morning, Brother Daniel. Brother Daniel's not available right now, so we're going to just uh, go on with the program. We had a great guest on this morning here, Ms. Bobby, Barbara Mallory Callaway. Uh, she's running for U.S. House Representative District 30, and we encourage you to go out and vote. She gave us uh, uh, information on her platform and how she needs us to help her get to Washington so she, too, can make a difference. I love her slogan said, enough is enough. Aren't you tired of the way things are going? Aren't you tired of all the bickering that's going on in Washington? Aren't you tired of the, how the Senate, uh, Senate and the House uh, is not coming together, uh, the House of Representatives and the uh, Congress and not coming together? Aren't you tired of all those things there? But yet we'll, we have a voice that's crying and a willingness to say that they want to make a difference. I encourage you to go out and vote. Early vote is in effect right now. Make your vote count. And we've been listening to uh, a few episodes of Black History uh, programs and events. We pray that you've been encouraged. And, and you know, we have to continue to uh, inform our young people that history just didn't start with, uh, with Tupac and Biggie. You know, we've got to inform them that they have to get an education. You have to inform them that the best is yet to come. You know, I'm getting ready to go over to the Juvenile Center today. I'll I've been going over to the Cottrell House Juvenile Center, which I have adopted, been over there for uh, several years. And today we're doing a life skill course, which we have been developing those throughout our time over there. And we'll be talking about computer components. And who knows? We may have an engineer there. We may have another Black Edison that's sitting in the uh, that's sitting in one of our uh, uh, workshops here. So we're going to talk about the components of a computer, the hard drive, the function of hard drive memory and uh, sound cards and motherboard and those things that are associated with the internal working of a computer. And then a few uh, months ago, we did a, uh, a life skill course on, on tying a necktie. Little did I know that those young men, did, uh, uh, that they would really would enjoy that tying a necktie. You know, after the session, someone came up to me and said, hey, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And I said, wow, these young men, they want someone to uh, speak into their life. They want someone to be able to show them the way. Yes, they incarcerated. Yes, they done some things that wasn't quite right and they got them separated from their family and friends and things that they're accustomed to, but they're looking for a better way of life here. So we want to continue to do that. And you, too, can be a part of this show here by calling in our studio number at 310-982-4126. And you, too, can voice your opinion and speak to our guests at the appropriate time. And I'd like to just make mention of uh, one of our guests and sponsors of the program. I said sponsors because they allow me to get up every morning and do what I do here at Beverly Beasley. Uh, she's uh, the uh, sponsor of a Free on the Inside blog talk radio program with our host, Mr. Joy Lewis, and she allowed us to come on here each and every Saturday morning. So 
uh, thank you, Beverly Beasley. You can find out more about Granny Place Ministry by going to the uh, website, grantyplaceministry.org. And I'd also like to make mention I received a package from one of our listeners, Ms. Vera Squire. She's an artist and a poet, and she sent me an updated copy of her book. Uh, and so she wrote three uh, books, and she combined them all into one for easy reading. And so we thank God for that. And I'd like to share some of her writing and poetry on here at the appropriate time. But better yet, I'd love to get her on here, but she let me know that she's not available. But when she uh, but when she become available, we would ask her to come on and share some of her writing. She's very skillful and and, and very observant. You know, I, I was surprised about the thing that she wrote about that you don't even think about, you know. And so I thank God for her vision and looking forward to her doing great things there. And so, again, you'll listen to Free on the Inside. We had a great show this morning. I would ask you to go back and listen to our show in entirety and see what you could glean off of our program. You know, we've been doing this for a number of years, but yet it's always a challenge, but yet we are for the challenge. And I want you to know that you don't have to be proficient at the things that you do. Just do it. And guess what? God gets the glory. And uh, this morning also we're going over to the uh, uh, Dallas Life. Dallas Life, uh, I used to call it foundation, but it's really Dallas Life, a, a, a living facilities, it's a shelter for families and single men and women. Then we're going over there and we're going to assist in the lunch. And the Cottrell House have allowed their young men to come over and to assist us in the serving of the lunch. And so we're looking forward to that. We'll be over there about uh, 10.30 today, 10.30 to 11. So we'll be by there. Uh, Helping out, you know. I played an episode last week. It was talking about uh, uh, it was talking about Sam Bass, and I, I you know, I really was surprised about that because I was sharing with oh, with a friend of mine. I enjoyed that because I, I used to look at a uh, Long Range when I was young and little. And I know that 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 they uh, uh, if, uh, that they got that character from uh, uh, from Bass. Bass Reed was a lawman in the Oklahoma Territory, and he had a. a uh, a scout with him was an Indian scout because they didn't allow uh, Caucasians or uh, uh, non-Americans to roam around Indian territory by themselves. So they they gave this black sheriff, an Indian guy, and him, and they went through the uh, capture bad men and people that were undesirable in Indian territory. So every time you see the Long Range, he always catching people, but they never talk about it. it if every night in there they allude to Indian territory. And then they said Bass Reed, he would give uh, the people that assist him a, a silver dollar, you know. And the long range, I always gave a silver bullet out. So I said, wow, man, that's awesome. And so, you know, as you were hearing about the black inventions, then you can see how a lot of these things came about. How Thomas Edison had this him that was uh, just, as, uh, just as sharp and encouraging as him. And, you know, come find out the man, say, he wouldn't even work for Thomas Edison. Hey, I want to be independent. I encourage you, men and women, be independent. Don't let nobody tell you how to do things. Do it unto the Lord and let God get the glory. We get ready to wind down this program. I want to thank you once again for your uh, tenderness and for your listening to the program. Will you listen to Free on the Inside, a weekly internet program hosted by yours truly, Mr. Joy Lewis, and we're looking forward to uh, being with you again uh, next weekend if all goes well. We pray that you've been blessed today. We pray that you stay dry. We're here in Dallas, Texas, and it's been raining for several days now. And so we pray that, you know, that, uh, that our listening artists in the Dallas Metroplex, Dallas and Fort Worth area, that they be safe and go out and help change the life 
okay? Precious and Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for another day that wasn't promised to the Lord as we get ready to wind this program down. We want to thank you for the guests that came on this morning, dear Lord. We want to thank you, dear Lord, for how they allowed them, they self to be uh, be used by you, dear Lord. We thank you, dear Lord, for, for uh, our guest this morning, Miss Mallory uh, Callaway, dear Lord, Barbara Mallory Callaway, for U.S. House of Representative District 30. Ask you, dear Lord, to show her favor. We ask you, dear Lord, to allow her to continue to keep her hands to the plow, continue to let her do the thing that which you put to her heart her hands to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. You are listening to another great episode of Free on the Inside by Minister Joy Lewis. We encourage you to be about your father's business. We encourage you to go out and change your life in Jesus' name. Amen.